0: Hello and welcome again to the famous CFC podcast where each episode offers a deep delve into Chelsea's amazing history. My name's Gary Brown, and I'm joined as usual by the gracious current club historian Rick Glanville. <laughs> Hi mate. Uh, yourself Gary. Hey now I've been looking at a fascinating
1: in-depth report from July 2004 by a bunch called Wessex Archaeology. Now this is a History podcast, right? And this Mm. is all about a site they excavated in rural Surrey, um, just south of London. They Mm. dug trenches and discovered beautiful sherds of medieval 12th century pottery, mysterious prehistoric ditches, and really fascinating examples of flint napped into cutting tools by our Bronze Age ancestors thousands of years ago. Whoa, 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 whoa,
0: come on come on what what hang on there now I sense a trap but I'm going to play the game <laughs> what has all this got to do with the history of the blues it sounds more like an Indiana Jones plot <laughs> it's all to do with
1: finds me old mate the link is finds that site Wessex archaeology excavated was in Cobham and uh-huh. the work was done in preparation for a new domed, covered pitch for our academy teams at what would eventually become Chelsea's home-from-home, the Cobham Training Centre, where, of course we unearth some of the finest talent in the
0: world. Unearth. I like it. Unearth. <laughs> right. So I do get it as if I hadn't actually read the script. Well, this week's episode... <laughs> fourth, wall, fourth wall. Well done. <laughs> this week's episode, naturally enough, is one of a series of our fantastic new schemes over the years called Rising Suns, focusing on the common years. So why Rising Suns, Rick? Well, the club was founded in 1905 at a pub called The
1: Rising Sun, as in the star around which the Earth orbits. And we're talking about sons, as in male children, of the Chelsea family. So homegrown products from our various talent finding systems since 1947.
0: It's a proper Chelsea pun, mate. Yeah, it is. So today, as this year is the 20th anniversary of planning permission, first being granted at Leafy Cobham to Chelsea FC, and the survey referenced earlier, we're looking at what we had before Cobham, the approaches taken by the club over the past two decades, the great successes and disappointing near-misses, and even what the point of a youth setup is in this day and age. Well, and joining us in a bit will be the fantastically knowledgeable Phil Rolfe,
1: known to hundreds of thousands of people on Twitter as at Chelsea Youth, whose unrivaled coverage keeps hundreds of thousands. Gary, you and me included up to speed about our academy and our
0: development squad. First though, Rick, can we have a bullet point history of what went before? I believe the first juniors were introduced by Willie Birrell, who was manager from 1939 to 52. That's
1: true. And um, and right up to three homegrown players, Reese James, Mason Mount and Andreas Christensen, playing a huge part on the pitch when we won the Champions League in 2021. But as you say, that journey started a long, long way back. Birrell, uh, Willie Birrell, wanted to implement the scheme as early as uh, 1939-40 season, but the Second World War intervened, as it did in so many aspects. Um, We'll cover that, because it is a really fascinating story. We'll cover that and other periods in our uh, youth scheme history uh, in detail another time. Um, But it's worth pointing out, that Birrell's initiative, which eventually started in 1947, as we mentioned earlier, was universally praised for its unusually holistic, all-encompassing approach. So his Chelsea Junior scheme was different to that at other clubs because it offered academic lessons in a classroom and, and pastoral care, like personal development, alongside the obvious ball skills, that were developed on a training pitch. And the club has maintained that approach, well, mostly, um, through the various initiatives down the years, so reeling them off. The FA apprenticeship scheme that started in 1960, uh, the government's youth training scheme introduced in 1983. But really, where Chelsea have harked back to that 1947 thing was when the Premier League Academy scheme came in in 1997 and the elite player performance plan from 2012.
0: Okay, well, that brings us on very neatly to 2002 and our 140-acre finishing school for footballers, the marvellous Cobham Training Centre. We caught up with At Chelsea Youth himself, Phil Rolfe, to discuss success, failure and all things homegrown over the two huge decades. We started by asking Phil, what was it like before Cobham?
1: So, Phil, we're marking 20 years of Cobham when the spade first went in the ground there and planning permission was given and also celebrating the immense success of the Chelsea Football Club Academy. Um, Do you know, I I know you spend a lot of time there now, but do you know what pitches and other facilities were being used by the academy before the new training centre at at Cobham and what Cobham meant that they could do that they couldn't do before? Like, how did it help? How did it push the the academy forward?
2: Uh, the the pre Cobham era sort of predates me, but they were at Harlington, along with the, the the first team, a pretty Spartan operation to say the least. Yeah, in the terrible. in the uh, in the shadow of Heathrow Airport, it didn't have any of the <laughs> modern comforts provided by Cobham. Uh, that's not to say it wasn't successful. It, it produced plenty of notable first-team graduates from the 90s, the early 2000s. I mean, John Terry came through at Arlington. Yeah. And there's arguably no greater graduate but Eddie Newton, Andy Myers, John Harley, Michael Dubry, Carlton Cole. Yeah. All of those sorts of players came through and made a really imp- a, a huge impression on the club in what was, in the late 90s, the, the most successful era in the for, for generations. So yeah. it was one of those things that you, you don't necessarily realise the limitations at the time, but when you have the change of ownership and the Abramovich era begins, you need to move every part of the club into the next phase of what you want to take on global dominance. And so you start to look for what Cobham can provide above and beyond anything that they've ever experienced before. Yeah, Phil, head of youth development, Neil Barth,
0: has been the mm-hmm. guiding light in Chelsea youth for such a long time now. And he's an absolute hero of ours And he was made assistant academy director in 2002, then academy manager in 2004. Can you tell us why Neil's been so instrumental?
2: I think there's... A, a fine summary um, given this week from Jed Roddy, who was the former director of football development at the Premier League, oh, um, c- celebrating um, Chelsea's position as number one um, club in the production of young players across wow. England, um, produced by training guru. He described him as the fabric of Chelsea and a leader in his field and a standout practitioner head <laughs> development in this country. That's fantastic, isn't it? So this is a man who's been with Chelsea in one way or another, part time, full time head of academy since. The early '90s. This is somebody who ensures that there is a core of Chelsea running through mm-hmm. the entire academy operation. Yeah. yeah. And I think when you have that identity underpinning everything you do, it it, it pays off in so many different ways. Uh, you've seen the number of players that have come through into the first team more recently, but across the professional game, across the game in England, mm-hmm. across Europe. And it's, it's it, when you trust somebody to, to build that out, uh, it takes patience. It's not uh, even yeah. Neil's been yeah. running the Academy for best part of 20 years. Now, if you look at all of the other Academy directors or people in similar roles mm-hmm. around the league, I think maybe one of them has spent a decade there, but everyone really? has changed for two wow. to three years. Wow. And when you don't have that consistency in your approach, mm-hmm you're always trying to find a way to play catch-up, whereas Chelsea have been able to position themselves at the top and to continue to evolve and uh, and move forward, trying to maintain their position at the top of the academy game as well. And that's all led by Neil. And then it's, it's the ability to delegate and to trust high-quality yeah, people in all of definitely. the other roles that are filled out as the academy game has grown into its own living and breathing operation. Yeah, yeah. So, Phil, I'm, I'm sure we've all got our favourites, but who would
0: you rate as the Academy's most successful graduates over the past two decades? Um, maybe you'd
2: include a member who won the Youth Cup or the UEFA Youth League in there. So if we're talking the Cobham era, that means that we can't talk about John Terry. He's obviously going to be the top of the uh, top of the mountain for all of his achievements. But you can start with like Carton Cole and Robert Hooth that mm-hmm. people would turn their nose up at those early graduates. But mm-hmm. each of them had 400 senior appearances. Each point. of them, Each of them were senior internationals. Robert Huth played a key role in one of the most unlikely league title wins ever at Leicester. <laughs> so yeah. I think that those two players in particular deserve a lot of credit for coming through at a time where Chelsea were transitioning in the academy and not necessarily being as productive as they would later be. But you can talk about Ryan Bertrand winning a Champions League in 2012 didn't quite get the opportunity he deserved. Neither did Nathan Ake, but they were both long-term internationals, top-flight top, top, top flight players. But I think you have to look at Aries James or Romay Mountain and Andreas Christensen. Yeah. Those guys, and then Tammy Abraham, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Fikho, Tomori, Callum and more latterly, Trevor Chalobah. It's that core. It's just day. You that you can rattle off so many names, Phil. It is. And you can pick your poison. <laughs> I think Rich James is one of the outstanding players anywhere in football right now. Oh, his for me, definitely. Been, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, you can, his influence has become even more tangible since he's been injured, unfortunately. Yeah. You, you know yeah. how good he is on the pitch, and then you know even more how important he is when he's not there. I would like to reserve a special mention for Andreas Christensen, though, because as much as he's... Departure stung a few fans. He was the one who put to it, put to rest that sort of nobody's come through since John Terry argument that we heard the best part of a Very decade. True. He broke in. He positioned himself in the the heart of the defense. He won everything. UA for competitions, and good luck to him at Barcelona moving forward. But he he can sometimes become forgotten with mm. all of the other boys that are still in the first team. But Uh, he was a classy operator from the first moment he came in from Brondby and I certainly hold a special place for him.
1: Brilliant shout outs there, Phil, absolutely spot on, I think. Um, And I still remember Robert who's driving that... um, a, a great moment. Vehicle oh, the, the I don't know how he didn't seriously on, hurt somebody. With about £100 million <laughs> worth of talent on the back.
2: <laughs> it was the Diego Costa before Diego Costa was a thing. It was.
1: <laughs> um, but let's talk about some of the so players, yes. And let's talk about some of the fruits of that success. Because um, we last claimed the prestigious FA Youth Cup, which is the FA Cup for 15 to 18-year-olds, for people that don't know it, in 1960-61, But then in 2007-8, so after Cobham, we reached the final for the first time before winning it seven times in nine years from 2010 to 2018. And what I want to ask you is, um, do you think that the Youth Cup is a Youth Cup success is a like the perfect barometer for having a good crop of youngsters who'll make the grade at Chelsea.
2: I think in isolation, probably not. Your mileage may vary on how often a, a, a bunch of graduates from a single win will translate to the higher levels. Mm-hmm. But when you win five in a row, something that's only happened twice in history and not for 60 years, it, it can only be indicative of a high performing operation with plenty to offer. Yeah, And the the broader body of work is going to supply players not it maybe into the first team at Chelsea we know that that's not entirely in the academy's power to decide they can only produce the quality players and then mm-hmm. whether the first team decide to take advantage of them or not is mm-hmm. is another debate altogether but th- there are players that were in the the five youth cup winning teams who are performing at the highest level across England across Europe worldwide it's a level of dominance that you don't see mm-hmm. and it's special because of that so year on year you might see a very special youth cup team Chelsea whoever and you, you might get three four out of it you might not get any at all it can be quite random but when you win not just five in a row but as you say seven in nine years that can only suggest that you're doing yeah, something extremely right and yeah. there is plenty of talent to at least explore giving an opportunity in the first team there's no guarantees but mm. you cannot win that much that many trophies in such a long period of time without doing a lot right.
1: You know what, just to throw something in here, those players at that age group will carry that cohort of opponents and teammates with them throughout their career. I remember talking to David Lee years ago about um, a traumatic experience he had playing in, uh, for Chelsea's youth team in defence against this star uh, youth player from Southampton. And I'm sure you can guess who that was, Alan Shearer. And um, Shearer just absolutely minced him. And every time David Lee had to come up and face him, the same horror image emerged on him. So that is, you know, to be the best in your year and to have that kind of sense of um, feeling really confident that you are the best in the UK, best in Europe, you can really carry, carry that through. But I want to ask you, um, youth, youthful promise can fade or it can be crushed in a senior game. And we've seen that, you know, some loans fail and things like that. Who are the young stars that you most regret didn't make the grade for whatever reason at Chelsea? And, and is there a kind of break-even measure for an academy year group. So what you know? what's a great measure of success for a year group?
2: In terms of measuring success, you always want to look at how many players you're sending into professional football to mm-hmm. have a meaningful career. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that they enjoy a playing career. Some players will move into coaching or scouting or into another department, usually within the academy. If you look around the academy staff now, there are uh, a small handful of uh, players in their early 20s who have already moved into um, off-pitch endeavours because the academy is really supportive um, uh, of transitioning and and keeping them involved when they're they're finding it hard to move forward. Chelsea
1: are really good at that,
2: actually. They are. And I think uh, a lot more clubs are improving with their aftercare. But Chelsea have definitely been a, a leader in their field for a long, long time now. So you always want to look at whether you're setting these young boys up for for life personally and professionally yeah,
1: yeah
2: and from there ideally you want them to go into the first team if they're able to enjoy a professional career brilliant if they're able to make a living from the game great but if you're producing good people i think that's always going to auger well in terms of those who didn't make the grade who were fantastic youth team talent. you, you could, personally you feel most cut up about that You're there's still three been brilliant so you, for us you know there, there's you could always we had Gail Kakuta and Josh McEkran feature oh, under Carlo yes. Ancelotti and yeah. never really made it further there was a time where Lewis Baker looked to assert oh, to be two-footed uh, a, a two-footed player him and John Swift had a couple of really really tremendous years the one that really cuts me up is Nathaniel Though, I thought that <sighs> Yeah. there was a moment under antonio conte where he broke through he was he wasn't a starter necessarily but he he was used as a bit of a finisher to help close out games yeah. and come on into midfield yeah he, he, almost uh, like a Mikel uh, figure in some exactly and yeah. uh, he endeared himself to everybody when he flattened sergio aguero and uh, after a particularly bad tackle up at uh, manchester city there was uh, i thought that there was the prime opportunity for him break through. he was one of the most outstanding young talent, as you can see. He made his youth team debut as a thirteen-year-old. He was playing yeah. several age groups ahead for England, and he
1: seems head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, you he, know, he got nearly. He seemed destined for a like a John Terry role,
2: didn't he? Yeah, exactly. And then it went wrong towards the end of Conte's reign, and Danny Drinkwater mm. suicide, and then he went to Watford. He made his mm. England debut shortly after leaving, and then suffered a, a broken knee. Of all things, and so he's, I mean, he's, he's in the Premier League now with Fulham, so he's doing well. But he was—he's the one that's still to this day. It makes me think, what if? Because there was so much to like about him. Amazing. I mean, is
0: it, I'm just thinking of the numbers alone. Um, just explain to me, though, Phil, what is the sort of intake that Cobham has in, in a year? You know, what, what's the number that, that go through the, the doors there?
2: I think the overall operation from under nine through to under-21s will have... 200 to 250 players at any given time Mm -hmm. Um, each age group has a maximum number of players that can be registered which is roughly between 20 and 30 depending on the age group Uh, when you get to under 18s and scholarships it can be anywhere from 8 to 10 all the way up to the 16 that were signed up this summer it's um, varies year on year depending on the quality of the group and how much you can um, add to that with external recruitment so it's a, it's a sizable operation. Chelsea tend to have more players than most. They have the biggest and widest, uh, most diverse scouting network in the country. So they've they've got coverage everywhere. They take a lot of players in. There's a lot of trials. So yeah, I think you can see the success. You can just see some of the players that have spent time at COP, not necessarily been there forever and ever. Um, some if 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 you go a weekend without looking at a Premier League match where somebody didn't at least stop by Cobham for a cup of coffee on their journey through, then you'd be very surprised.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because it's it's all about quality. Now, obviously, quantity comes into it, but uh, it is to an extent a numbers game, but it's way beyond that, isn't it? It's the quality of the facility, the quality of the coaching, the quality of the mentoring, and I assume the quality of the assessing as
2: well. Absolutely, all of those things. There's, you, It's very simple to say if you throw enough mud at the wall, something will stick, and that's when you have 250 players, you'd expect a certain number of them to make it, but there's no guarantee, and it would be a disservice to all of the high-quality work, as you said, that goes on at Cobham. The, uh, on and off the pitch, uh, engaging with family, with friends, with a wider network of people that help raise these young people into uh, fine adults, whether they're footballers, whether they're coaches, whether they're scouts, whether they move off into another sphere altogether. Um, I, I know it can s- sound a little bit corny in a way to talk about it like that, but they are an extension. They are a, a school. They are an establishment. They spend more time with these players than... Uh, they would the players would spend in a normal comprehensive secondary school. For example, they they have a lot of responsibility, not just to Chelsea but across the academy game. And I think there's a, a lot of good being done. In, I think you're right. And I, academy what's, football. What's really interesting,
1: Phil, is that when Chelsea set up in 1947 48, it was that holistic approach, which was not just to produce footballers to pro- but produce rounded individuals. That I think. Um, we are particularly good at now so we've kind of um, carried that on through the through the years and when you talk to some of our young players from the last five or six years you can see that they're not only are they rounded individuals and they've been given a, a lots of kind of inspirational balanced diet of academia and and uh, media training and all this sort of stuff. But they're very adept at dealing with a lot of the challenges that would have really scuppered some of the players from the 90s.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a really important point that the foundations of the what became the Chelsea youth team in the late 40s, are, 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 those same values mm-hmm. will never go out of style. They're mm. always a fundamental importance to producing uh good footballers, good people. And we talked recently. Um Trevor Chalaber did an interview about suffering with anxiety when he first broke into the first team at Chelsea. Really important. We've spoken Ruben Loftus Chic was very candid about his experiences while out injured. Yeah. And I think those two examples are demonstrative of the fact that they feel comfortable to be able to talk about their vulnerabilities and overcoming the setbacks to to reach the position they're in now and that's tested that, that, that all goes back to what we've been talking about the the, the holistic approach and the very personable nice. nature of people working in the academy at Chelsea uh, are able to produce people like that
1: yeah yeah absolutely but one thing Phil um Chelsea fans love a homegrown oh yeah But what are the challenges for an academy when top clubs, including Chelsea, can spend so much money
2: on transfers? Well, obviously, you can go out and buy somebody ready-made at the drop of a hat. Um, And we've seen that happen time and again. So you're always working in the knowledge that your work might go unappreciated by a first-team manager, a director of football, whoever. But at the same time, I think the role of the academy, not just at Chelsea, but across the game is only going to grow in importance at a time when spending power is diluted by the fact that so many Premier League clubs can spend to a similar extent now. Yeah. And then you get clubs like Manchester City and potentially Newcastle, depending on how we go. Yeah. They they have the, the ability to outspend anybody. So you need yeah. to be smarter in how you uh, go about building your squad. I mean, smarter scouting, a smarter recruitment, which hopefully is on the way with all of the various um, footballing hires that are coming in. Uh, We've got Joe Shields joined and Lawrence Walker. Great point. And about one or two others coming. But if you can take advantage of high-level youth development, it pays off in ways that everybody else would struggle to repeat because there's a skill and an art involved. And go back to the very start of our conversation, Neil Barth has been running this for 20 years. He's been there for 30 years. Everybody is still trying to play catch-up. It's not easy to play catch-up, and it's even harder these days in the academy game to launch a youth team up to the the top of the under-18 game, for example, by recruiting the best across Europe. The Brexit transfer regulations mean you can't go out and sign the best kids from the Netherlands, from Spain and from Germany. So if you you have an academy that is providing an advantage, it's going to become more and more important that you use it to take advantage of that um, that other clubs may not have. Great stuff, Phil.
0: That was so insightful. Now, after the break, we'll take a look at some of our stellar youth team managers... And who are the next big things to come out from our academy? Phil, the current Scotland manager, Steve Clark, was actually manager of our, of our youth team when we started off at Cobham. But not just Steve, Phil. Other past coaches make for a very impressive list. Present Leicester boss, Brendan Rogers, Rude Kaiser, up to 2007, then Paul Clement, Joe Edwards, both now with Frank at Everton. Plus Jody Morris, of course, who was assistant under Frank at Chelsea.
2: Yep, and Aidy Vybash, who's the assistant manager at Coventry and doing very well for himself there as well. Um, Harvey, Jerry Harvey, Dermot Drummond. Jerry Harvey, even Mick Beale, uh QPR was yeah. um oh, yes, the Chelsea Junior ranks because it, it keeps on growing. Um the number of uh, even in in other series, you'd have um people from the uh performance and conditioning style uh, Nick Broad, the late Nick Broad went to Paris Saint-Germain, worked with Ancelotti and um paul clement there uh, mm-hmm. there's somebody called joe club who worked in the um sports science department who went on and enjoyed success in the nfl and the nhl before um going independent so chelsea have got their tentacles across not just football mm-hmm. but across different sports now yeah and it's it's just as important to produce good practitioners as yeah. it is good footballers because the footballers totally. are going to benefit from that education and the, the names that we just wrote off Steve clark former player paul clement former schoolboy jody morris former player joe Edwards, former schoolboy There's a a balance that Neil spoke about got to be 15 years ago of trying to make sure that the academy has an influence of players that have gone all the way through the system, enjoyed a professional career and come back to teach the next generation the likes of Jodie. Some of those who didn't enjoy a career but were able to become successful coaches like Joe Edwards and then the expertise coming in from outside Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're keeping up with the latest developments that bring in the best in class And And from outside as well, Phil. And from outside, exactly. So the likes of AD, the likes of Dermot Drummy, um, who came from Arsenal.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, And more recently, uh, Mark Robinson with the development squad and his assistant Jack Mishaw, who came from Crystal Palace. Uh, That melting part of high-quality youth coaching from elsewhere, augmenting the good work being done inside the academy, is not something that you ordinarily see. True, very true. You keep us so well informed on Twitter about Chelsea's lone army.
1: Um, but sadly, youngsters don't always get the same level of care at other clubs, do they? I mean, I remember uh, after Glenn Hoddle was appointed in 1993, that was a bit of a sea change for the likes of Michael Dubry and Mark Nichols, because uh, Hoddle instigated this, um, if you like, whole club system. Everyone switched to three three centre-backs to streamline progression to the first team. Um, how do you? How important is that that you have this pathway, if you like, uh, that is streamlined to the first team?
2: I've been on record um, consistently as saying that I don't agree with the idea of the academy teams imitating oh, or trying to yeah. uh, trying to repeat and copy what the first team are doing tactically. Mm-hmm. Um, not least because when you churn through the number of managers that Chelsea churn through, <laughs> um, you're <laughs> ripping it up and starting again every yeah. year or every couple of years, whereas. What we see with the academy is that they have Great point. A, yeah. a very flexible approach, which is typically but not exclusively based around three at the back. And it's very flexible. It's very fluid. Players, especially in the younger age groups, will play in numerous different positions. And you only have to look at the versatility provided by Loftus-Chic, Chalobah, Mountain James, all we'll play in multiple yeah. positions, not just this season, last season, and going back to as, as evidence that that works. Loftus-Chic played right back in second half at Brighton, which was probably his ninth position this season. And (laughs) there's a a strong argument that goes on. For example, Ajax have been very, very successful with a very rigid 4-3-3, one holding midfielder, two midfielders, two very wide forwards. And that's been successful for generations. I think what works for each club clearly works. But I I don't think that Chelsea certainly, but any academy should try to copy what the first team are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Manchester City... Do it yeah. very well, Guardiola's been there for a long time, and you can start to transition that influence if you know the manager is going to be there three, four, five years. But certainly, the unpredictability at Chelsea doesn't lend itself towards that. I think with Ajax, though, isn't it? Uh,
1: it's four, nominally 4 3 3, but they, yes, but they, they say you can move
2: here, and if he goes there, you go there. So, absolutely, mm.
0: Phil. Think, the academy is it fair to say the academy is going through a slightly less successful phase now? So, what's involved, do you think? Is it scouting, social factors, head coach? And what period would you say was our golden age for
2: breaking into the first team? Well, the golden age for breaking into the first team was the first year under Frank Lampard. It's quite Mm. obvious nobody else really broke through in volume mm-hmm. before that and he suffered particularly in this uh, truncated second season with the restrictions placed by the pandemic um with players not able to move between different bubbles and opportunities to oh, yes, of course. being yeah. far more limited uh in terms of whether the academy is slightly less successful at the moment obviously they're not winning five youth cups in a row they're not winning under 18 league titles um so that the scope provided by the previous success will always suggest that we're not being successful now uh, the historic successes of 2014 to 2019 are yeah. special for a reason. You can't go on doing that every year, year on year on year. Uh, everyone's been able to play catch up. The Premier League TV deals are even more lucrative now. And whilst financial fair play is a little bit watered down and impotent these days, there are no restrictions on academy spending under ffp so you can plow a lot of that money into the academy and there's greater scope for those clubs to play catch up to chelsea than there is for chelsea to pull away from the competition at the same so you're right. yeah so it's it's going to be hard it's an even more competitive environment now and particularly with recruitment um not being able to go to europe as we've uh, spoken about earlier and, and then there was a transfer ban I don't think it necessarily affected the academy, but it came at a time where they lost Jamal Musiala and Sam Elling Jr. Yeah. to Bayern and to Juventus, respectively. And, and then sort of that, that summer where Tino Livramento, Luis Bate and Mars per Harris left, if you suffer two or three big losses like that at once, it takes a little mm-hmm. while to catch up. And I think they they did that a little bit this summer with some of the Dev Squad recruitment, some of the 2003 age group, Amari Hutchinson, Mason Burster all coming in. Uh, Lewis uh, Bate and Livermento or O three, for example so you can get there eventually uh, I wouldn't say it's something to worry about I think such tremendous success for the best part of the 2010s yeah. makes it look like things aren't going quite as well but Chelsea is still very very competitive and still producing players at an extremely high rate Well you you mentioned uh, a couple of players there and it's not just about the ones
1: like Reese and Mason who have been with us since the age of eight or seven or whatever um i was at the paul canneville foundation event at stanford bridge recently where two uh, development squad stars amari hutchinson and mason burstow spoke really well and um they to me they look like rising stars how would you describe those two to people who are yet to see them play. And do you have any next big thing, tips for the younger age groups? You know, have we got a, a, a load of diamonds coming through at age 13, 14 or whatever.
2: So Burstow came from Charlton last season, left on yeah. loan there for the second half of the campaign, but he was somebody Chelsea had had in on trial a couple of times while he was in mm-hmm. uh, youth football at Welling and at Maidstone. He's, and Amari's he's family chemical. are all Chelsea, aren't they? I think they are. He spent a very mm-hmm. short amount of time in Cobham uh, in the pre academy before he could officially sign at nine. Yeah, uh, and just come back nine around a decade mad, later. Isn't it? Officially sign
1: at nine. It is mad.
2: So, <laughs> so, so, so Mason's Mason's a, a, a modern day number nine. He can play with his back to goal. He can run the channels. He can finish. There's some elements of Dominic Solanke's game in him. You uh. know, the same, they move similar ways. Um, Mason's not quite as two footed as Don was at the same age group, but he's he's coming along really well, benefiting from. Uh, work in uh, an elite environment, not to discredit them. Mm-hmm. They've got a fantastic academy, but the idea that Mason was coming back in this season to Chelsea and not going straight out on loan was to mm-hmm. benefit from that. Amari is quite honestly one of the, uh, the most fun players to watch in PL two football. He's he's short, he's slight, he's maybe five foot seven if on a good day. Wonderful, wonderful close control, dribbling, left footed, mm. can go either way can score all sorts of goals and deservedly got a, a first-team call-up for the ill fated um, trip to Brighton recently. <laughs> um, I think yeah. he will... If he He's, doesn't a left make peg against, He's a left-peg left Hazard for me. He is a little bit. They've got sort of that ability to bounce Magic. off players by using yeah. their low centre of gravity to wriggle away to get through. And their arse, basically, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um in terms of the one's but to magic watch. still a bit of stardust i think that's the he thing. does he he's got that ability to to change a game uh, in a, in a moment and not everybody has that in no. he's uh, he certainly started his chelsea career well uh, in terms of picking out individuals at the younger age groups is uh, it's always something that i try to shy away from no, most, absolutely. not least not. because chelsea have the most england youth age group internationals every season for the best part of 10 years now there's it's the debt really? that impresses me. Is that yeah. Wow, it's, that's amazing. Yeah, they 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 have obviously um, a high quality operation, but a close link with the FA. Some mm-hmm. clubs aren't as forthcoming with releasing their players to the FA. But for example, the England's under 17s had three qualifiers recently, and five boys from Chelsea went there at a time where Chelsea had academy games, and so Chelsea could have quite rightly mm-hmm. said, "Actually, we don't want them to be hauled up." But they value that relationship with the FA. It goes all the way through, first um, yeah. development for the players as well. It is exactly that. If I'm going to name somebody from the younger age groups, it will be the one that's high profile. It's a lad called Shim who was signed from Brighton this summer. He turned 15 at the end of mm. October. He made his youth team debut this past weekend, as we speak and mm. claimed an assist. He's played consistently above his age group, um, played for Brighton's under 18s as a 14 year old scored against our under 17s, a 13 year old last season. He Yes, there is some advanced physical development in his game, but that would be discrediting everything he does really well. And I know there's a lot of people excited about what he can do uh, in the near future. He's not even Youth Cup eligible for this season. You can't play in the Youth Cup as an under 15. That's mad. It's so mad. <laughs> we'll see what happens with him. But he he certainly seems to be on the right track and was one of the many very exciting young recruits this summer.
1: Well, I don't know about you, Gary, but I am so hype now about uh youth setup I'm just ready well, to watch it, anything and you have yeah. gotta follow Phil at Chelsea youth on Twitter to well I'll, to I'll, follow I would say all of these brilliant end,
0: players all, all Chelsea fans make sure you follow at Chelsea youth because that sort of insight is what you get and for me it just painted a picture of something that I knew very yeah, little yeah. about and I really appreciate Phil you spending time to join us this evening and 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 i love the fact that you're able to to reel off so many star names so many names some of them i've forgotten and so much insight to how it would happen so absolutely fantastic i appreciate that phil thank you
2: thanks a lot phil it's my pleasure and it's it's just a privilege to have had a front row seat to some of the the development of these boys for a decade plus and long may that continue absolutely right that was Phil Rolf at Chelsea Youth on Twitter. And what a wonderful
0: insight into the Cobham years of Chelsea's homegrown story. I especially like the way he's had such a good insight into all the things about Cobham and what makes it such a good thing and why we're getting such good returns from it. How about you, Rick? Well, you know, he's uh, he's such an evangelist for um,
1: our homegrown talents, but also the people that nurture it. And he's so on top of all the developments there. Um, just incredible dedication that he shows. And look, we said it, we can't say it enough. Please follow him at Chelsea Youth on Twitter if you've got any interest at all in the development of you know young players coming through. Um, he covers both of us the, the playing age groups that w- we're aware of, but he's also on top of all the younger age groups as well. And we're so lucky to have him um, bring in all this to light for us. And, and and He's very outspoken as well. He's, he will challenge the club for some of the decisions
0: that are made, which is what supporters want to hear. Absolutely. It was a window into our future. Anyway, Correct. we'll be looking at other eras and issues around Chelsea's rising suns in future episodes. We have one more episode to come in this first series, a Chelsea and World War One Remembrance Special. You've been listening to the Famous CFC Podcast with me, Gary Barone, and him, Rick Glanville. If you liked it, please tell your friends and family, rate us and subscribe on whichever app you're using and help us promote Chelsea's heritage. In the meantime, play up, pensioners. See ya.